Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project, or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. Join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. We gather a seasoned elder, myself as the middle generation, and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations, prepare to engage or hear perspectives that literally no one else has had. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You ever watch a movie with a big old A-list actor? And you think, man, they had to make such a big paycheck for that movie. And yeah, that's usually the case. They usually make a lot of money. But sometimes, sometimes in very rare instances, they take a lower amount of money for a particular movie and have their own explanation why. Sometimes they lead on to Oscars. Sometimes they did it as a favor. Whatever the case, that's what we are talking about today. This episode is all about A-list actors who surprisingly took a small amount for iconic movie roles. I'll also give a movie review for a brand new movie called Black Bear, which is available to stream now on demand. And also some major movie news with Warner Brothers coming in hard with HBO Max and announcing that all their movies will go on to streaming. We'll get into those movies and our thoughts on that. I'll have my fiance Kelsey on for that segment. Without any further ado, let's get started. In a world where everyone and their mother has a podcast. One man stands to infiltrate the ears of listeners like never before in a movie podcast. A man with so much movie knowledge, he's basically like a walking IMDb with glasses. From the Nashville Podcast Network, this is Movie Mike's Movie Podcast. All right, so just to paint the picture of why I came up with the idea for this episode and the research I did on this is I am currently sitting in a bedroom in Los Angeles, California. If you don't know, the main show I work for is called The Bobby Bone Show, where I am a writer and a producer over there. And occasionally I have to travel for the job. This year has been a lot different because everything got shut down. We weren't traveling for a very long time. Uh, But right now we are having to do a couple of weeks out here in Los Angeles, which as a kid, Los Angeles always seemed like a very far distant place that I would never get a chance to go. And it wasn't until I started working in radio and had this job and got to do some traveling that I came to Los Angeles. I remember the first time I came to California, just how mind-blowing it was for me to be a trailer park kid who never left Waxahachie, Texas, let alone the state, let alone come to the West Coast. And it's still not lost to me how cool it is to come out to Los Angeles and me being such a big movie fan. It's cool to see 
the studios and walking around those places. I know everything's kind of shut down now, but just driving through, seeing the Hollywood sign, like it's an amazing thing. And while I've been here this week, I still go out on my runs, which is pretty much my main form of exercise, but also how I get the creative juices going. I come up with a lot of ideas for the main show and for this podcast while I'm out on a run. And I'm here running in Los Angeles and I see all these fancy houses up on the hill and I get to thinking like, man, I bet some famous people live in those houses. <laughs> and just thinking about how expensive it is to own a place out here and just how much a movie star actually makes, which got to me to thinking, you know, what they end up making per movie. And then I kind of thought a little bit more of like, you know what? I think sometimes the paycheck doesn't mean a whole lot to them anymore. And I've seen this a lot more where actors come back later in their careers and they're just trying to do something that's meaningful to them. Like they've done the big blockbuster movies, but they want to do something that's a little more, you know, refined and something that defines them as an actor and the legacy they want to leave on that they kind of turn down big money to do smaller projects to have that chance of getting an Oscar, basically. And then you also kind of see early on in actors' careers, they basically take anything to kind of build up their resume. So you can see like a big actor who goes on to have a very, you know, fruitful career in the early days they took on a very small paycheck so what I kind of went through in research were instances where this happened where they ended up having these iconic roles but the paychecks don't really amount to what you think they would have now a lot of times in a lot of these cases it's still a lot of money like don't get me wrong it's a big amount to shake a stick at that we would be like I would take that in an instance to do essentially a few months of work not downplaying how much effort and how hard it is to be an actor in the craft they have, but just saying like, it's a substantial amount. So I want to start first with Matthew McConaughey. So going back first to 2013. So Matthew McConaughey, he basically had his run in like the early two thousands where he was doing a lot of just kind of cheesy rom-com, some action adventure movies in there. He was a big movie star. He would make a lot of money per movie, around 15 million, 20 million on the high end. He's in that A-list kind of status there. But around 2013, he started taking on smaller roles to kind of, it was almost a reinvention of himself. Like he did all those movies and he was kind of known as that guy, but he wanted to do something grittier and just more refined and kind of show like, hey, I'm like a really great actor. I have the ability to do that. And where this all comes into play is he actually turned down a role on Magnum PI where he was going to be making $15 million, like straight up to do it. That's how much they would have paid him. But instead he wanted to do Dallas buyers club where he only earned under $200,000 in exchange for some back end points. So what that essentially means is he takes that kind of smaller paycheck up front, but he also gets money on the back end, whether through like royalties, ticket sales, Basically, he doesn't make a whole lot of money up front, but if the movie ends up being a success and a hit, he'll make it on the back end, which in this case, that's what happened. The movie only had a $5 million budget. Like, they did this super low budget to where there was basically, like, one person doing, like, the makeup, and the costumes were just all just done on a shoestring budget for this type of movie. That went on to make $60 million. So, he ended up making his money on the back end, And not only that, but he landed his first ever Academy Award for Best Actor. So now Matthew McConaughey is worth about $95 million. So to break that down in 
what that would mean for you and I listening, how much he's making. He makes about 52 cents per second, about $31 per minute, $1,800 every hour, and about $45,000 per day. So he's doing pretty well. And I thought it was cool of him to take less on this movie because he believed in the project and he believed that it would go on to be something that they could end up winning Oscars for, which not only did he, but also Jared Leto did for Best Supporting Actor. And I think since then, we kind of take Matthew McConaughey a little bit more seriously. He's not just a goofy, all right, all right, all right guy. He's kind of a legit dramatic actor now, whether it be in movies or in TV. So I think this was good on him, you know, (laughs) take the less money up front, make it on the back end. Either way, you get to go home with an Oscar now. All right, now let's talk about Robert Downey Jr. and some of the Avengers. So starting with Robert Downey Jr., the first Iron Man movie, which basically kicked off the entire Marvel franchise and made it what it is today, greatly due to how great he was in the movie. And he only had a $500,000 salary for that first movie. And let's just say since then, he has gotten paid. But $500,000 to be the leading man in that type of movie at the time was a very small scale. Like, I'm talking a legit A-list actor at the top of their game will probably bring in, on the higher end, $20 million for a traditional theatrical release. It's a little bit different now in the world of streaming. Like, Netflix is paying way more than that right now. They're getting up into, like, the $40, $60 million range. But for an actor just with a straight-up theatrical release, it's usually about $15, $20 million on the higher end. So $500,000 is significantly less, but that's what it was at the time. He was kind of having a comeback at this time. But also like Matthew McConaughey, being that he took the small up front, he got the money in the back end and ended up making $2.5 million with the success of the movie, ended up making $50 million for the first Avenger film, and then at the very end of it, by the time we got to Endgame, he was making $75 million per Marvel movie. So he's worth now about 396 to roughly $435 million. So again, I've kind of learned this in my life. Whenever you first started something and are proving yourself, you're going to have to take a little bit less money. And then once you prove your worth, that's kind of when you get paid. And then kind of going back to, if I will quote, one of my favorite superhero movies, The Dark Knight, when Joker says, if you're good at something, never do it for free. Words of wisdom from the Joker here. Also staying in the kind of Avengers world is Chris Evans was only paid a million dollars for the first Captain America film. And that was probably my least favorite one. And I didn't know that they would kind of be successful after that one. I thought that one was a little bit slow. I didn't think the villain was all that great. And he was in that movie and we never saw him again. Like I thought they could have brought him back in some capacity. I think that's also what a lot of the Marvel movies were kind of lacking in the beginning. They didn't have great villains. But needless to say, he really went on to carry the Marvel movies. Now, they were really heavy on having Iron Man be in everything, whether it be the Avengers movies or having cameos in other Marvel movies because he carried the movie so much of putting his name on it. People loved Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man. But I think underneath that, Chris Evans really kind of created this foundation of the movies to where he was right up there with Iron Man as far as carrying, being able to carry a movie. So I thought he should have been paid a lot more throughout, but he ended up only making about $15 million per movie. So they were just giving Robert Downey Jr. all the money here. 
But even on the lower end, Chris Hemsworth, who plays Thor, he only took on $150,000 to play Thor in the first one. But like Chris Evans, by the time he got to the later movies, he made $15 million for Thor Ragnarok. So I think in their cases, it was just a matter of them being able to show their worth and showing that they could carry these movies. So they got their paycheck later. In Jonah Hill's case, when it came to The Wolf of Wall Street, he accepted $60,000, and it was mainly because he wanted to work with Martin Scorsese, who was a legendary director, and for an actor to be able to say that they worked with one of their heroes probably means a lot to him. I think that really is what kind of sealed the deal for him when he was just offered this role and the ability to work with Martin Scorsese. He was like... I'll basically do whatever. Like right when the deal was offered to him, he took it and signed it and was like, I just don't want them to take this away from me. Like I want to be able to work with Martin Scorsese. And when you just think of the history of movies that he has, that they're all legendary in their own way. And if you're in any of his movies, you're basically going to leave behind that same legacy. You're going to be a part of his collection of films. So I could see with an actor like him, which also he was mainly a comedic actor at the time. He'd done, you know, Moneyball. But he'd never really been in a drama like this before, which it does have some comedy in it too, but it's just seeing Jonah Hill in a way you really haven't expected to see him before. He's not the guy from Superbad in this one. He's not playing Seth. So that's what he did. He took the $60,000. It's all he made from this movie, but then went on to be nominated for Best Supporting Actor at the 2014 Academy Awards and probably his like biggest moment of his career to date. Like Aside from him being able to do that, he got to work with Martin Scorsese, and has since, you know, done a little bit of work in directing. He directed a movie called Mid-90s, which came out a couple years ago. And I bet a lot of being able to work with Martin Scorsese and a director of that caliber really kind of gave him some edge and gave him some knowledge that he would not have acquired any other way. Again, I can kind of relate this back to me. I started out as an unpaid intern. I worked for free for about a year and a half. And a lot of people would come to me and be like, dude, why are you doing this for free? Like, you're really good at this. You should be getting paid by now. And I was like, you know what? I know that eventually this will turn into something. And I know that I am learning things that are invaluable. And maybe people <laughs> think I'm crazy right now, but just know that this will pay off later. And it ended up, you know, working out for me like it did for Jonah Hill. You just can't really put a price on experience like that, being able to work with somebody so great and being able just to kind of experience that firsthand. That's something in an internship that... You know, it's what it's all about, really. So I wouldn't go back and ever be, I'd look back and I'm fine that I never made a dime early on when I was doing this thing. 10 years later, I'm still here doing my own podcast, which is what I set out to do from the very beginning. So, hey, full circle moment here. We'll roll through some more of these that I found. Um, if you're watching Christmas movies right now or you're a big fan of the movie Home Alone, a very small kind of cameo at the very end is John Candy. It's really an iconic cameo. Like, you don't really realize how big of a part of that movie is. And a lot of that scene he just did on improv. And they were basically just like, hey, just show up to set one day. Knock out these scenes and you'll be in the movie. And he ended up only making $414 for that movie. So at the very end, if you don't remember at the movie, he's the one who offers Kevin's mom a ride to go and get to Kevin because she can't get a flight out anywhere. And he has the whole polka band. And that whole idea, like that whole like kind of back and forth between her and him was a lot of just his improv. So $414. And sadly, John Candy died just three years after that movie came out. But 
phenomenal actor. If you're not familiar with all of his movies from anything of Splash, Spaceballs, Uncle Buck, highly recommend just sitting down over the holiday break and watching a good old John Candy movie. Allow me to introduce myself. Gus Polinski, Polka King of the Midwest, the, the Kenosha Kickers. Hi there. Hi there. No? That's okay. I thought you might have recognized. Anyways, um, I had a few hits a few years ago. Uh, that's why, I, you know, just polka, 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 polka. No? And then we got Jennifer Lopez, who was not paid a single dollar for her role in Hustlers, which is surprising. Like, super surprising to me because you think Jennifer Lopez wouldn't even show up to a place unless she had, like, I don't know, $10, $15 million guaranteed. But she believed in this movie so much. She was like, I don't want to take a salary. I found an interview she did in GQ, and she basically said, I did it for free. I produced it. I bank on myself. She said, like Jenny from the block, I do what I want. I do what I love. So that's pretty amazing. And that was, I felt, a very big snub for her. She, along with that movie, should have been nominated when it came out for the Oscars. But it's cool to see a celebrity and an actress of her status just be that passionate about a project and just want to get it made. Also, Hilary Swink. In the movie Boys Don't Cry, she was paid just $3,000 for that role. And this movie was very early on in her career. She had made a whole lot of money doing any role. And what she found out is that from a movie job, you have to make $5,000 in order to qualify for health insurance. And while <laughs> making that movie, she had to get a prescription filled, went to this pharmacy, and they told her, all right, this is going to be $160. And she's like, is that with my insurance? And they were like, yep. Turns out she had an Academy Award, didn't have health insurance. Boom. George Clooney, one of the highest paid celebs right now. But in order to write, direct, and star in the movie Good Night and Good Luck, George Clooney only received a $3 salary. That's right. One, two, three dollars. That's it. I literally have that amount in my wallet. I could hire George Clooney now if I wanted for what he made making this movie. So this was basically just a passion project for George Clooney. We've kind of seen a theme here. If people just really believe in a movie, they will basically make it for nothing this one paid off because it was nominated for not one, not two, not three, not even four, not even five, but six Academy Awards back in 2006, a passion project that actually paid off. Now, I have friends who do passion projects sometimes, whether it be some kind of hip-hop album they make in their bedroom, and I gotta say, I don't think those have paid off quite like this one. So be passionate, but also have some talent. Jennifer Lawrence, who made about $500,000 for her breakout role as Katniss Everdeen in The Hunger Games, and then went on to make thousands and millions in the rest of that franchise, and now just makes pretty much that for every single movie. But when it came to her first critically acclaimed role in Winter's Bone, she only made $3,000 per week. That was it. Got nominated for an Oscar, but she only made $300,000 a week. And even later in her career for like movies like American Hustle, she said, you know, she still felt like there was a gender pay gap. Like her and Amy Adams were paid a lot less than her male co-stars. She said like early on in her career, she, you know, didn't really know how to negotiate. She would just kind of give up early. I mean, that's also kind of along the lines of Gal Gadot and Wonder Woman. For the very first one, she only made $300,000. And that movie ended up making $821 million worldwide. Like that... <laughs> math makes no sense to me meanwhile you got superman making tons of money and his movies are terrible 
few more of these that are a little surprising. Brad Pitt was only paid $6,000 for his role in Thelma and Louise. Bill Murray earned about $9,000 for his work on Rushmore. Ended up being an indie classic, though. Dustin Hoffman only made about $17,000 for his breakout role in The Graduate. Julia Roberts made about $50,000 to star in her very first movie, Mystic Pizza. And then only made $300,000 for one of her most iconic roles of all time, Pretty Woman. Like, that's it. John Travolta only made $150,000 for his role in Pulp Fiction, which I just saw him do a commercial the other day where he's basically reenacting that dance scene. So he's made up his money there. And then finally, from one of my favorite movies, the original Halloween, Jamie Lee Curtis, who was a very new actress at the time, basically put her on the map. She only made $8,000. So they shot that entire movie in only four weeks. She was paid $2,000 per week. And also, not only that, she bought her own costume for the movie, actually got it from a JCPenney's. Think about that. Laurie Strode's iconic look was a JCPenney's original. So if you ever wondered how much actors made for some of your favorite movies, there you go. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. I never thought I'd take my three young kids to Sicily to solve a century-old mystery. But that's what I'm doing in my new podcast, The Sicilian Inheritance. Join us as we travel thousands of miles on the beautiful and crazy island of Sicily, as I trace my roots back through a mystery for the ages and untangle clues within my family's origin story, which has morphed like a game of telephone through the generations. Was our family matriarch killed in a land deal gone wrong? Or was it by the Sicilian mafia? A lover's quarrel? Or was she? as my father believed, a witch. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, let's get into a movie review now. I want to talk about the movie Black Bear, which just came out last Friday. And I got to say, this was an unexpected hit for me. I love Aubrey Plaza. So I was going to watch this movie no matter what, but upon turning this movie on and seeing what it ended up being about, I was 
blown away. And I, I'm going to say this early. This could possibly be one of my favorite movies of 2020. But before I get into that full review, here's just a little bit of the movie Black Bear. <laughs> Since the second I got here, <laughs> you're in love I've with her. You are. I, I know it. This is what you wanted, okay? This is going to ruin us. Okay. I just want to be normal people again. So going into this movie, I didn't know a whole lot of what it was going to be about. I saw a quick snip of the trailer. Mainly saw it from Aubrey Plaza promoting the movie on her Instagram page. I just watched Happiest Season, so I was like, all right, I'm down to see her in a dramatic role now, which I mainly know her as a comedic actress. I know her from Parks and Rec and a bunch of stuff she did early in her career that was, you know, more towards just straight-up comedy stuff. And then seeing her in this movie being so intense and kind of like, oh, man, like it, like it, the, the range on Aubrey Plaza in this movie is pretty phenomenal. It's seeing her in a way I've never seen her before. And I don't want to completely ruin what the movie's about because for me, I watched it just on a whim. I knew it was going to be good. I knew it was something brand new that you could stream on at home. And the other great thing about this that I'll mention right now, it only costs $6 to rent. Yeah, that's a big thing. Like all the new movies coming out at home are 20 bucks. This one will only cost you 7 bucks wherever you can stream video on demand movies. So that was a big selling point for me from the very beginning. And I won't really reveal what happens throughout the movie, but it just almost felt like two movies into one. And what the movie is essentially about, which you kind of pick up from the trailer, which is about as much of a spoiler as I ever give out. I only talk about something that's shown in the trailer. It's about this woman who goes to stay at a bed and breakfast with this other couple. And there's just some crazy tension between the two because they feel like the husband has feelings for this person coming to stay with them. But that when you but then what you find out later while watching this movie, it turns into being a movie about making a movie and the director trying to get a really dramatic performance out of Aubrey Plaza and doing things that kind of manipulate her in the process. And it gets very intense. So this movie is a little bit meta in the sense that it's like a movie within a movie about filmmaking, but maybe it's because I love movies so much and I love the process behind it. It was kind of cool to see that different perspective, like something pulled kind of behind the curtain a little bit. And what it did a really good job of, when it did make the flip into like a chapter two, it's kind of broken into two chapters. It still kept this kind of intensity and this kind of just suspense that was going while you're the one experiencing it with the characters in the movie. So I just thought that was a really interesting thing. And even if it's kind of a meta kind of concept, I think they did it pretty well. And there was just something about this movie just from the dialogue that just had me like pulled in. It wasn't anything crazy, no crazy special effects or no crazy horror blood things like that. It was just like intense dialogue and intense conversations. And you just really see how great of an actress that Aubrey Plaza is to see that range in her to go from like almost being two characters in this movie in a sense. It's really kind of captivating and a really unique way to do something that I had. I like, I didn't even know I needed this movie in my life until I was watching it. And there's some things in this movie that I haven't seen in movies in a long time. And it's a fair warning. It is rated R and there's, there is man, butt in this movie, I haven't seen man, butt in a movie in quite a while. I think the total butt count in this movie is maybe two, maybe three possibly butts in this entire movie which is something you don't see all the time anymore. And also smoking. Don't see that a whole lot in movies anymore, but I think they kind of did it as a tactic to kind of create 
Aubrey Plaza's character once you're seeing her as the actress acting in this movie. So that was kind of an interesting point too. So from the start of this movie, I kind of got misery vibes. I thought it was going to have that kind of a twist. But what I ended up getting was two movies in one and Aubrey Plaza is really perfect in both of them. So I think if you're looking for something a little bit different as far as like a drama with a little bit of not even comedy, just a little like dark comedy in there. I really think you'll enjoy this one. It has a unique perspective. It felt fresh and just something that I didn't know I needed, like I said earlier. And kind of a sleeper pick in there to be one of my favorites. There was just something that just captivated me in a way that I haven't been before. There was parts of the movie where I like stood up and like put my hands on my head, like literally got out of my seat to react to what I was seeing on screen. Has a really cool feel, looks amazing, is done, I would say, pretty close to perfect and what I was looking for would easily give it four out of five bears. And honestly, I hope to see Aubrey Plaza do some more dramatic roles like this. She's amazing at it. All right, let's get into some movie news now. And I'm joined by my co-host and fiance, Kelsey, who is back home in Nashville. How are you, Kelsey? I'm good. How are you? Good. This is the first time we've ever done movie news with us in different states, even though we were long distance for two years. This has kind of like become my favorite part of the podcast because we get to just talk about movie news, go back and forth. And I think listeners like this, if you are listening now and do enjoy this segment with Kelsey, give us a tweet. Send us a, an Instagram message or something. How do you feel about this segment? I like it. It's fun. I feel like people get to hear our like natural banter. Well, there we go. Let's get into the biggest movie headline of the week, and it's going to pretty much change the way we watch movies for the entire year of 2021. And Warner Brothers coming in strong, announcing that all of their movies next year are coming to theaters and directly onto HBO Max. And we've been talking about this for a minute now because we were like, "Eh, should we get HBO Max? Should we try just to hang on to the trial? But now this pretty much sets that we're going to have to get it and pay for it because we want to watch all these movies. And I think it's pretty cool what they're doing here. Are you excited about it? I am, which I think paying for that service goes back to our discussion last week about whether or not we will pay for movies. So I'm just just getting this on the record. We can pay for HBO Max. Is that a yes? Yes, we can pay for HBO Max because the great <laughs> the great thing that they're doing is you just pay the subscription for HBO Max and you get these movies. The only real catch here is that they'll only be available for 30 days. So they come out in theaters, they come out on their streaming service, and you can have like 30 days to watch them. But they're not doing the whole Disney Plus thing. That charged $30, which ended up pretty much failing, which we did watch that Mulan movie, paid those 30 bucks. So this is really them kind of saying like, hey, we're here with HBO Max and we're going to like change everything. I think movie theaters are pretty upset. I read a whole article with an interview with the CEO of Warner and he's like, yeah, they're pretty much like not happy about this. But we told them that, you know, this is better than giving you nothing. This is kind of working towards being able to enjoy new content again because... I mean, they just can't keep delaying movies on and on and on without us seeing anything. This is kind of that in-between. Do you think that movie theaters will kind of die out because of this deal? What do you think? I don't think they'll die out. I still think there's an experience there in going. I think like going to see a movie in theaters is more of, like that would be more of like a date night, like something you can do. I feel like after this year, nobody's really going to want to be home anymore. Like I feel like once we're let out of our houses, we're all just going to never want to be home. So I think that there's still some value in going to the movie theater and it's an experience, um, just kind of those big ticket movies. 
but I'm also, I'm looking at your tweet now about this and you said, looks like I'm not leaving my couch for a while. Yeah. I just want everyone to know we haven't left the couch. Like you're just, you, you haven't, we haven't <laughs> left the couch this year. <laughs> like, I think we are probably going to need a new couch like sooner than anticipated because we've just sat on the couch for this entire year. Yeah. The butt imprint's getting pretty bad right now. <laughs> but so I'm, it's not like you aren't going to leave the couch. You just, you haven't yet. Like yeah, it's going to continue. I was anticipating <laughs> at some point in 2021 to get out of the house and go to a movie. But I think what this is going to do, it's going to give people the option who, if you're not comfortable going into a movie theater, but even before the pandemic started, people were saying, Hey, we want to be able to watch these movies at home too. We like home theater systems and TVs and surround sound has all gotten so much better at home. You have that ability to still enjoy a movie to that kind of quality and that comfort of just, you know, walking to your living room. So I think this is something people have been wanting is just kind of giving them a reason to do it this year while kind of still pissing off movie theaters. So, yeah, I honestly don't know now if I would go back to a movie theater. Again, this is only Warner Brothers, but I could see other places following suit, too. Yeah, we may need to get, order that new couch. <laughs> do we also have to get a sound bar? We do need a sound we bar. We need to invest in that. I okay. did get a tweet the other day of somebody asking, like, the setup I have to watch movies. And the only thing I'm really particular about is the picture. Like, I don't, I haven't invested in getting anything for the sound yet, which I think... You know, we're just saying that's our next step. But um, at the start of this whole thing, it was just kind of my idea to like, okay, I'm going to need a new TV because we're going to be watching a lot of things at home. No, we just have a TV that barely fits on our TV stand. That's true. The first time I plugged that thing in, I literally laughed out loud because it was so massive in there and it barely fit on the on the little TV stand. So we may need to upgrade that too. So I just, I just hear dollar signs out of this conversation. <laughs> but among the movies coming out, I mean... Everything from Mortal Kombat to Space Jam, which I've been looking forward to, to The Suicide Squad, Matrix 4, Dune. There's just so many movies that they're putting out. And along the same lines, what I was talking about is quality is they're also being released in 4K. And then the other thing we talked about is they are going to get rid of their seven-day trial, which we were saying, yeah, they're probably not going to keep that around for much longer. So I think our plan has kind of gone there. Yeah, I mean, there was no... That's just a bad business plan. Anyone can see that. And I don't have a business degree, but like if you're going to offer a seven day free trial and put out a huge movie, everyone's just going to sign up. And there are those people that would forget to cancel, but I think the majority would try to cancel. So probably smart that they're doing that. They got to make their money back some way. Cause I mean, these movies cost so much money, but I, I think they'll get a lot of subscribers out of this. I'm curious to see how this plays out. And right now they're only saying that this will only be for 2021 but I think they're just saying that not to make any more movie theaters mad because pretty much the head of AMC like wants to murder them right now. I mean, I still enjoy it. Like I said, it's like an experience going to the movies. I mean, I think there's something to be said. It's, you get kind of dressed up and you leave the house and they're making movie theaters a lot more comfortable. Like AMC in particular has some great like leather recliners now. So I still would go to the movies. Not anytime soon, but eventually. I don't want them to completely die out. Are you saying we should get leather recliners, some lazy boys? Oh, boy. His and hers, <laughs> walked, lazy boys. Walked myself into that one. <laughs> also in movie news, speaking of paying for movies, uh, Mulan is now available for free on Disney+. Plus. Now, we paid the 30 bucks, and we were like, hey, don't pay we it. Did. Like, it's not worth it. Would you say now that people have Disney+, Plus to watch Mulan? Sure. I mean, I, I didn't really enjoy that movie. It was... It didn't feel like a Disney movie, right? No, if you're looking for something to watch, like I know kids are probably getting out of school now. Sure, watch it. Wasn't my favorite thing. I'm probably never going to rewatch it. Yeah, it just felt 
like a Disney war movie. It didn't have the charm as the original one. Like the songs weren't in there. Mushu wasn't in there. I felt it lagged a little bit. It looked amazing. Like they filmed that to be seen in a big movie screen. But aside from that, they took a lot away from the story and it didn't really feel like the same movie. So, but also Mulan is just isn't one of my favorite Disney movies. Also in movie news, the Oscars said that they will be live and in person next year. It usually goes down in February and now won't happen until April 25th, 2021. But it won't be a virtual thing. They'll be back with actors and actresses in the actual award ceremony, which for me, the Oscars are kind of like my Super Bowl, which I mean, I'll watch the Super Bowl as well, but I get so invested in the Oscars and watching all the Oscar movies and making my picks. And, you know, when those are on, it's an event for me that I really look forward to every year. And I think they can do it in a safe way, especially by April. And I was kind of thinking of when they did like the CMAs, that kind of had a weird feel to where it felt like they were just in a conference room kind of standing around and and like chairs and tables, but they were all there. Like all the people nominated and performing were there. So the weird thing about Oscars is there's, I mean, there's usually performances too, but it's just kind of people hanging out in a room. So I guess that's the approach they're going to have, just not having a full on audience there. But do you like the Oscars? Do you like watching them? I do. I feel like I don't typically know a lot of the movies. The only year that I had seen a lot of the movies was the year that that movie pass thing was a big deal. Ah, movie pass. Which, I mean, that went under quickly. What did I pay? I paid like $10 a month and I could see like a movie a day, which was great. I saw so many movies that I never would have seen because I was like, I don't really have to pay for this. Um, But yeah, I I don't always know all of the Oscar movies. I will watch them though. I enjoy them. I'm kind of wondering what's going to be nominated. Yeah, next that's year. Not that much has come out. Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> Sonic the Hedgehog for best picture. Yeah. Yeah, I remember when Movie Pass came out, everybody tagged me and they're like, "You got to get this. You got to go, you know, get this Movie Pass so you can see all these movies." And I never got it. I knew it was going to fail from the very start. I'm like, there's no way that they're going to be able to keep up with that business plan like of allowing you to watch however many movies you wanted and which i think that's how it was at the very beginning and then they kind of restricted there towards the end they restricted it and it would be like one showing in a theater like 45 miles from you so they like pretty much limited it at the end and then they went under but it was great while it lasted saw a lot of movies r.i.p movie pass (laughs) r.i.p and last thing in movie news is the toxic avenger reboot officially has peter dinklage on as a cast member which i'm pretty excited about toxic avenger was a really big cult horror movie back in the day from trauma and it was a movie that i watched and wanted to essentially become a director and make my own horror movies so i think this is pretty cool this is getting a reboot mainly because a whole lot of people don't know about this movie but there's such a kind of underground fan base for the toxic avenger and all the trauma movies and i think now that peter dinklage is attached who You would know from Game of Thrones, he's also an elf and a lot of things. But I think that'll bring a lot of attention to this movie that kind of deserves it. And I think this is a movie that you would absolutely hate, to be honest. Like, you don't like any kind of horror movie, any kind of gore, even if it's kind of comical, do you? I don't even like suspense. You don't like suspense at all? You know that. Why are you sounding surprised right now? But I I thought it was more of like scary things like horror related or like demon stuff. There's actual like suspense movies you don't like. I mean, I didn't even love Bird Box. 
Oh, that's that's kind of well, that could kind of happen, maybe. <laughs> I don't like the feeling of like knowing that I'm just supposed to be scared. Like sometimes, even on TV shows, I will if they like start playing like semi like not scary music, but that just kind of like tells you something's coming. I will pause it and watch, or not pause it, mute it, watch it with sound off. I just <laughs> don't like to be scared. Well, the other day I was watching uh, Midsummer in the living room, and I made a point to pause it when you came through the living room. Um, I did that for you because I know you don't like horror stuff and that movie is pretty freaky. So, um, I did you that song. I also, I knew everything that happened in that movie, so I didn't feel like it would have been that scary, but thank you. I do appreciate that. That's all that counts. Well, there we go. A lot of big movie news here. Um, it was funny last time we talked about HBO Max, a lot of listeners, they would shout it out and said that they would give me their HBO login, which is very nice, but... I feel wrong taking that. It seems like kind of a weird thing, but I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, we'll, we'll invest in our own. And before we hop out of here, I got to give my shout out of the week going over to Twitter this week. And this one comes from Matt Owens. And the tweet is simple. He's on Twitter at Moot177. And all he tweeted was, Swaddle that baby, <laughs> which is a <laughs> quote from your favorite Christmas movie, right? Or one of them. One of my favorites. Yeah, Four Christmases. But that is my one of my favorite quotes from the movie. And something that's a great that's a great tweet that deserves a <laughs> shout out. I feel like you bring up that quote anytime you can and it's funny. One of my favorite scenes in the entire movie. And if you missed it last week, we did an entire Christmas episode where we did Kelsey's top five most rewatchable Christmas movies and we got a bunch of tweets about that one. People like that episode. So if you haven't listened to that one yet, go back just one episode and check that out. It'll definitely put you in the holiday spirit and i can't wait to get back home to you kelsey that's very sweet i don't know how to respond to that publicly okay <laughs> well, just, uh, i'm just kidding please come home <laughs> i will come home soon um i am currently we usually do this in our kitchen table right across from each other and right now i am sitting on the bed and i pulled like the little end table close to me so it's weird not having you directly across i'm sitting on our couch that we haven't left this entire year <laughs> there we go Thanks, everybody, for listening to this week's episode. Be sure to subscribe, follow, do all the things. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, hit that five-star rating and write a quick little review. And there we go. We will talk to you again next Monday here on the podcast. And until then, later. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your host of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project, or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody, welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. Join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. 
We gather a seasoned elder, myself as the middle generation, and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations, prepare to engage or hear perspectives that literally no one else has had. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 